This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. Previously on Space Train, after facing the Black Sphere, the cadets turned themselves in to the Doctor and his exiles. When they arrived, the Doctor had the Space Train caboose searched and found the cadets' parents hiding inside. Thrilled with the idea of having more teachers for his academy, the Doctor had the cadets and their parents escorted to the academy, where they were to be held prisoner and forced to assist with the final phase of the school's construction. But before that could happen, the cadets and their parents attacked and a battle ensued. 
Diva and Mixon McGruff showed up at the last minute to join the cadets in their fight, but there were still too many hoverbots for them to handle. Finally, Goro ordered all the cadets and their parents out of the school, and he crashed the space train into the academy, destroying it with him inside. When the dust settled, the cadets sifted through the rubble and found Goro's conscious crystal, the mineral that holds his life energy. And now for episode 21, From the Dust. Doug couldn't make sense of what he was seeing. How, after all the destruction, had Goro's conscious crystal survived? Not just survived, but looked to be in surprisingly good condition. Apart from a few scuffs, it remained unscathed. Lydia bent down to pick it up, but Doug held her back. Wait, he said, getting an idea. A jolt of excitement shot through him. Everybody step back. Confused, the cadets and their parents did as he said. Once they were all out of the rubble, Doug stood in front of them and studied the wreckage, his expression desperate but determined. Dallas leaned over to Lydia. What's he doing? Lydia shrugged. Doug studied the ocean of debris in front of him. Small fires sent up sparks as splintered walls buckled over. Piles of charred furniture and machinery covered the moon's blue surface like little hills of hot garbage. Silver panels lay here and there, scattered among the smoking heaps. In the midst of it all, Doug tried to identify the pieces that were familiar to him. Then he closed his eyes and held out his hands. Behind him, the cadets and their parents looked at each other. Images flashed through Doug's mind, scenes from their past adventures. As they played out before him, he did his best to focus on the details. The floors, the walls, the size of things, their structure. He saw himself laughing with the others at a booth in the Cosmic Cafe and turned his attention to the room. The chairs were padded. The heavy ovens cooked their meals in the background. Vents sucked up their smoke and blew it out into space. That was enough. Debris from the Academy's destroyed cafeteria came together to recreate the space train's cosmic cafe. Next, he saw their bedrooms, the small quarters, cramped but with comfortable beds and efficient storage space. Then he saw the engine room, one of the most difficult rooms to analyze with its big, booming engines and red-hot furnaces. In vivid detail, he relived the games they'd played in the train recreation room, the floating basketball, the dodgeball. He noticed its wood floors, the high ceilings, and the sporting equipment. Doug could feel his outstretched hands trembling. His legs were growing weak and sweat dripped down his forehead. The strain on his body was almost as distracting as the sounds of gasps from his friends behind him. The cadets and their parents watched in awe as thousands of pieces, some huge, some barely distinguishable to the naked eye, floated out of the piles of rubble and reconnected in the air. It was like a cloud of machinery, alive and moving with purpose. Everyone's heads leaned back to take it all in as it grew. Silver panels clipped back together, 
Screws screwed themselves into place. Metal poles and beams bent back into position and connected. Doug saw the planetarium in his mind's eye. The reclined chairs, the projector, the domed ceiling. A blueprint of its design sketched itself and then became a reality. The cockpit was next, confusing and intricate. He wasn't sure he could get this one right, but he did his best. An almost impossible puzzle of buttons and controls reconnected to reform the navigation panel. Down the train his mind went. He pictured the other train cars, as endless as they were. Some he'd only spent a brief time in. He pictured what he could of them and improvised the rest. At last, he came to the caboose. He had no idea what it looked like on the inside. All he had to go off of was his wild imagination. Before his parents had come strolling out of it, he'd imagined something suitably matched to the horrid tentacled creature they'd seen guarding it. In his daydreams, he'd pictured the car being a damp, foggy cave of a room, covered in green slime with veiny, twitching alien eggs growing out of the walls. So, even though he knew it wasn't true, that the creature was just a cheap puppet, he rebuilt the slimy cave of a caboose from his imagination. Finally, it was complete. The cadets beheld the train that Doug had assembled. It wasn't half as slick or beautiful as the silver train they'd known, but it was majestic in its own right. Damaged remains of the old train, along with borrowed pieces of panels from the destroyed Academy of Exiles, pieced together to form a patchwork metal serpent of a machine. The gnarly, clunky locomotive hovered in front of them and blew its horn. The sound shook the cadets. When it faded, Doug recovered from a near heart attack. He'd made the horn too loud. Doug was spent. His body begged for him to collapse. He wanted to rest more than anything, but he fought the urge. Determined, he dragged his feet closer to the remaining rubble and stared at the gear surrounding Goro's conscious crystal. He took a deep breath, closed his eyes, and held out his hands. Memories of his time with Goro flashed through his mind. He pictured the plump robot's shape, his movement and gestures. He visualized his metal mustache and digital mouth. Tiny gears snapped together in his mind's eye and turned. Metal joints fastened to limbs. Circuits lifted into place and connected to sinuous wires that twisted together in thick bundles and tightened. As the shattered pieces of Goro's metal head closed together, the glowing conscious crystal lowered into the middle of it. When it reached the center, the head sealed shut around it. Doug opened his eyes. A panel of red and yellow lights blinked through the cloud of smoke in front of him. Doug heard a few beeps and the sound of metal joints moving. Seconds later, Goro emerged from the smoke. Lydia, Dallas, and Leo swarmed him. You're alive! Lydia shouted, throwing her arms around him. Oh, Goro, I thought we'd lost you! Dallas and Leo hugged him as well. Gorman, you've never looked better, Dallas said. 
I mean, you look like you've been run over a few times, but other than that... Leo just kept looking him over and shaking his head in disbelief. Goro's metal mustache turned up in a smile, but his eyes looked confused, like a child still waiting for someone to explain all the fuss. He turned his bewildered gaze to Doug, who sat slumped over on his knees. Doug's parents were helping him up and checking to see if he was okay. You, boy, Goro said, walking over to him. Doug struggled to lift his head to look at him. You rebuilt me, didn't you? The robot said. Doug slowly nodded. Goro looked over his reconstructed hands and limbs. They weren't perfect, but they would do. How did I know that? He quietly wondered. He turned and looked back at the rest of the cadets and the smoking devastation beyond them. What happened here? You saved us, Lydia said. You crashed the space train into the academy and destroyed the doctor's army. Space train? Doctor's army? He studied the cadets' faces, confused. Who are you? The cadets exchanged a look. Dallas squinted at him. Um, dudebot? You might want to wipe those sensors. It's us, the cadets. Cadets? Goro's mustache frowned as he grew agitated. No, 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 no. I don't know any cadets. He looked around again. How did I get here? D did you bring me here? I can't stay. I must be getting back to my classes. My students will be waiting for me. Doug's heart sank. Goro's memory had been wiped. Doug tried to speak to him, but he felt too weak and dizzy. His surroundings were growing dimmer and dimmer. Before his vision went dark, he saw his friends running up to him. Their running shapes blurred and their frantic voices echoed, and then there was silence. Later, Doug couldn't be sure how much later, his eyes opened and he was looking up at a beautiful night sky. Stars and planets passed over him as though he was looking out a giant window into space. I was wondering when you'd wake up, he heard Lydia say. He sat up. Lydia was sitting next to him in the planetarium. He'd been lying across a few of the chairs and was wrapped in foil-like blankets. Somehow, the domed ceiling above was showing a spectacular view of space. Doug looked up at it just as a cloudy pink and green nebula passed by. Am I dead? Doug asked, overwhelmed by the heavenly view. Lydia laughed. Almost. You took a lot out of yourself back there. She looked up at the domed window. I don't know how you did it. This is incredible, Doug. Trying to blink away the headache, Doug looked around the room. The planetarium definitely looked different. The chairs were a hodgepodge of seats from various train cars, and some he recognized from back at the Academy of Exiles. And the ceiling? He was pretty sure that it couldn't do this before. How's Goro? Doug asked, worrying about how he might have been put back together. Confused, but okay. 
They have him resting in the programming bay. Our parents have been running some tests. You saved him. It might take some time for his circuits to process that, but he'll come around soon enough. As for the rest of it, well... He's totally wiped, isn't he? Lydia nodded with a frown. Pretty much. He remembers pieces here and there, mainly of his time teaching at the Academy of Wanderers, but practically nothing of us and our missions. Honestly, you'd think he'd be a lot more upset about it. Our parents have done a pretty good job assuring him that everything will be okay. And it will be, thanks to you. You were really brave, Doug. You could have easily died exerting that much power. The space train's lucky to have you as her captain. Doug blushed. Then he looked at her. Even with all the smudges and sweat from battle, she still looked pretty. Lydia seemed to be giving him the same look. She pushed her red bangs aside and smiled. Butterflies danced in Doug's stomach. Here they are, came a loud voice behind them. They turned and saw Dallas, Leo, and their parents walking into the room. How are you feeling, Capitan? Dallas asked. Better, thanks. Doug tried to stand, but collapsed back onto the chairs. Don't push yourself, Lydia told him. You need to rest. We just came to say goodbye, Diva said, pursing her big purple lips. You and McGruff? Doug nodded to the cool DJ. And Leo? Doug, Dallas, and Lydia looked at Leo, who shrugged. Seriously, dude, not again, Dallas said. I have to go, Leo said slowly in a thick accent. The cadet's eyes bulged. You speak? Lydia asked. I... Leo struggled to find the words. Of course he speaks, you silly children, Diva said, fluffing her big black hair. He just doesn't speak your language. He understands it all right, thanks to me. Thanks to you, Doug interrupted. Diva's eyes widened with surprise. Well, of course, I am his mother. Now the cadet's eyes were really bulging. Dallas raised an eyebrow. But you're not from Earth. So that would mean Leo is... Alien, yes. Bless my stars, are you just now figuring this out? The cadets were too stunned to respond. Kids, Diva huffed, oblivious. Leo is very much extraterrestrial. But if you think we are alien, you should see his father. <laughs> that scoundrel can barely call himself a humanoid. Oh, more of a slime ball, if you ask me. I'll admit, I haven't exactly been an attentive parent myself lately. But I'm hoping to change that. I've been leaving my boy at a boarding school in the Bleak Sun District. Not cheap, let me tell you. <laughs> but they weren't catering to his genius. So I sought out my former professor, Goro, and asked him to look after him for a time. Goro was happy to watch him while I was away and agreed to tutor him in my absence. After a series of very embarrassing televised failures, 
I realized what a fool I'd been for handing him over. So I enlisted the help of Mr. McGruff here and set out to get him back. Dallas put his hand on Leo's shoulder. Dude, I, um, don't like to make a habit of this, but I owe you an, uh, an apology. I've been kind of an idiot jerk butt to you. I'm sorry. Leo smiled and waved his hand dismissively at him. Could we hear what your real language sounds like? Dallas asked. Leo looked at his mom, who nodded at him. After taking a deep breath, quiet little Leo started making the most outrageous noises the cadets had ever heard. Slurred words, clicks, squeals, barks, hisses, and something that sounded like a car alarm. When he was done, the cadets were left speechless. What did he say? Lydia finally asked Diva. He said goodbye. I'd stick with the gestures, Dallas suggested, giving Leo a pat on the shoulder. The cadets took turns saying their goodbyes, hugging Leo and promising him they'd stop by to visit from time to time. And just like that, Leo and his mom were gone. Everyone watched as their pod detached from the space train and zipped off into space, followed by Mixon McGruff on his hovering motorcycle. Dallas, Lydia, Doug, and their parents went to the Cosmic Cafe to catch up. They sat down at one of the charred booths and sipped their hover shakes, which tasted weird and not at all like chocolate or cookies and cream. Dallas smacked his lips in disgust. At least you tried, he told Doug. So you guys were with us in the train the whole time? Lydia asked her parents. We weren't trying to be nosy, honey, I promise, her mom said, anticipating blowback. We were just trying to help. Doug looked at his parents. So why didn't you just come out and help us to begin with? Doug's dad folded his hands in front of him. We didn't want to interfere too much as you learned to rely on your own abilities, he explained. This way we could support you in your missions without becoming a crutch. We got a little help ourselves back in our day, and we know firsthand how crucial it is. So, how much did you guys intervene? Dallas asked. Well, it started with Doug's soda bottle rocket, Dallas's mom said. Doug's parents suggested we kick off your first mission with that. We put a message of distress in it and floated it outside the train for you to find. After that, it was just little nudges here and there. Like? Lydia asked. The Nor bracelet? Her mom reminded her. Flying the train when you assumed it was on autopilot? Making sure the right distress signals got to you? Just to name a few. You guys went way overboard keeping us out of the caboose, Doug told his parents. We really thought there was a monster living on the train. I couldn't sleep for days after seeing that thing. <laughs> that would be Patrick's doing, Doug's dad said. We knew we needed a way to hide our presence, and he came up with the idea to make a creature puppet. Dad! Lydia gasped. You made that disgusting thing? Her dad nodded sheepishly. I had to do something with that theater degree. Come on, it worked, didn't it? 
Unbelievable. Now what? Doug asked. Now we get you all home, his dad said. You are all long overdue for some rest, especially you, Doug. And the doctor? We believe he may have made it out, his mom said. There was no sign of him or his chair in the wreckage. I can confirm that, Dallas added, taking another sip of his weird but strangely kind of good hover shake. He was right behind me when I jumped out of the building. I can almost guarantee he made it out, too. What about his exiles? Lydia wondered. I doubt many of them survived, if any, Dallas's mom said. It's going to take them a while to regroup after what Goro did to them. Shoot! Dallas said suddenly. What's wrong? Lydia asked. We forgot Blobby! He's still back at the academy! We've got to go back! Are you talking about that gooey thing with eyeballs? Dallas's mom said, pointing behind her. Something was rummaging through the cafe pantry. Empty candy bar wrappers flew over the counter every few seconds. We found him oozing out of a pile of debris when we were scanning over the wreckage. He's one lucky slime ball. Blobby's orange gelatin body bounced up onto the counter. He was caked in chocolate. Dallas shot up out of his chair. Blobby! Blobby chirped and clicked joyously. He sprang off the counter and splattered against Dallas's face. Chirping and bouncing, he showered his best friend with slimy orange kisses. Oh, Blobby, I'm so glad you're okay, Dallas said, covered in slime. Tell me everything. We're not keeping that thing in the house, Dallas's mom warned. Aw, come on. We'll talk about it later. Doug smiled and shook his head. It was good to see Dallas and Blobby together again. Nobody made Dallas happy quite like that little ball of goo. He turned back to his parents. So we go home, rest up, then what? He asked. Then we rebuild the Academy of Wanderers, of course, his dad said. It's time we blow the dust off that old relic and put it to good use. After all the pain and suffering the Doctor and his exiles have caused across the galaxy, reopening the Academy would be a shining beacon of hope for those feeling that all is lost. And there will be many more distress signals to attend to. Doug smiled. He imagined a bustling space academy, its halls full of bright, gifted beings from all over the galaxy, coming to learn, grow, and protect. The Academy of Wanderers, he said under his breath. I can't wait. Once they'd all finished their shakes, the space train's course was set for Earth, and they started the long journey back home. During the trip, they inspected the rest of the train cars and found most of them to be in pretty decent shape. They were different from what they once were, mainly their layouts and features, but overall it felt familiar. Touch-ups were made where needed. Once Goro was up to it, they brought him to the planetarium and took turns teaching him the things he'd forgotten. They taught him concepts he'd once taught them, and about the worlds and cultures in the galaxy. 
To his delight, they reenacted the missions he'd taken them on and amazed him with their terrible acting skills. Occasionally, while they'd be in the middle of a scene, Goro would sometimes be able to jump in with a tiny flash of memory that helped fill in the story. In between classes, they took breaks and looked out the long picture windows to soak up the view. They passed by many of the worlds they'd visited and even the future Academy of Wanderers. They zipped by moons, comets, suns, and stars until finally they arrived at a little blue and green spot, Earth. In the coming days, Doug had a hard time adjusting to being back home. Everything seemed boring compared to the adventures aboard the space train. He'd promised his parents that he'd pretend nothing had happened, that while they were home, he would play the part of being home. He went to school, they went about their work, he did his chores, they ate dinner in their boring dining room. Sometimes he'd wait at the corner of County Line and 30th Street just to watch the train go by. Everything reminded him of the space train, and he itched to go back. It had been weeks since they were dropped off, and he was starting to forget what it felt like to be weightless. He was forgetting that breathless moment when the space train doors would open and he'd gaze out at a new world for the first time. To keep the whole experience alive, he dedicated every spare moment to tinkering in his room on his latest project, a miniature model of the future Academy of Wanderers. It sat on his floor in the corner, shining under the light of a desk lamp. Doug lay in bed, tucked in his blankets, and stared at it. He couldn't wait to walk through its doors someday and float from class to class. Doug, his dad said, peeking his head into the room. Lights out, bud. Okay. Doug got up, turned off the lamp, and then climbed back into bed. Good night, his dad said. Good night. The door closed, and Doug stared up at his glow-in-the-dark universe on the ceiling, a bunch of cheap luminescent stickers of stars and planets. Letting out a sigh, he rolled over and fell asleep. Sometime later, the familiar sound of a low hum outside woke him from a deep sleep. He dismissed it as a passing truck and closed his eyes. But then he heard the chug-chug-chugging of an engine. His eyes sprang open and his heart raced. Then, piercing the night, a bellowing train horn blew. Captain Douglas Colt grinned. Rocketeers, what did you think of the final episode of Space Train? 
If you've enjoyed this series, don't forget to check out the other series available on the Purple Rocket Podcast. Grandpa's Globe, Winglings Under the Willow Tree, Life, Knights of Spatula. There are plenty of audio adventures waiting to be listened to, so be sure to check them out. And don't worry guys, the cadets and their space train will be back at some point in the future, so stay tuned. Space Train has been a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. This is your host, Greg Webb.